Welcome to the Resonate Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. So there's going to come a time in my life where I'm going to go out to Uncle John's and I'm going to borrow the heartbreaker. And before any bloke wants to take my daughters out on Valentine's Day, I'm going to sit the heartbreaker on the table and I'm going to say, G'day, mate. I'll go, G'day. And I'll say, now listen, this thing's called the heartbreaker. And if you break my daughter's heart... Um, the reason I picked this up was during worship, um, I felt God say um, to this young, this young fellow down the back there, I, I don't know you yet, yet you who just turned around, sorry. I don't, John, I don't know you yet, young fella. I, I, I saw an image and I'm just going to share it with you. Um, I'm not trying to embarrass you or anything like that. There's something in your future, right? There's a, I saw a road, I saw you on a road and I saw that there's something there was, there's something that maybe right now or, or in your near future was is blocking that road and, and I don't know what it is and maybe you already know what it is and it's just been frustrating because it shouldn't be blocking your road and I felt that God just smashed it open in the spiritual world. So I don't know what it is, but I think God's going to bring something that's blocking your path unblocked. So, yeah, no worries, mate. It's light, John. What are you talking about? <laughs> We're starting a series called How to Be Joyful and Thankful. It's a good idea, right? It's a really good idea. Um, It feels like I haven't seen everyone for like four or five weeks. We've been away for a couple of Sundays on a holiday, which was great. And then we had church camp and and half of us made church camp um, and and it was great fun. So next year when we have church camp, make sure everyone makes it a church camp and it'll be even more fun. But we missed everyone while we are away and um, that's a good thing because... uh, you don't miss people, it's probably a bit of a worry, uh, especially if you're the pastor. So as we're away, Kez and I had a bit of time to unwind and and um, turn our worn out selves into refreshed selves. And as we start thinking about all that God's done in this church, all the people he's brought in and, and all the blessings he's given us as a church, you can't help but be excited. You can't help but be thankful. And, and I love that we have um, we're not here, it's not just about one person, it's about a team of people and, um, and, and I love what God's doing through this great team, this great family and can I just encourage you, um, just keep being an awesome family, keep being an awesome team because you know it is all hands on deck in this church. If you're new or visiting um, and you think you're going to come to a church and, and sit around on a pew, you know we're going to ask you to be on team and, um, and we pray and hope that you will be on team because the more people we get doing stuff together, the, the greater it is and the greater connection that we're all going to have. Um, this week we're going to be having a board meeting and then in that board meeting um, we're going to lock in some team training dates for the year and we're going to get them out as soon as possible so everyone's um, on the same page around when they're going to happen, how they're going to happen. We're going to try to do a couple things online, um, maybe monthly or something, because a lot of us do have young kids or travel from distances. So it's just about connection, communication, because as we are getting bigger, it's going to be important as we continue to grow. Um, and our micro churches have kicked off again or are kicking off this week. And we do believe that Sunday church is great, but we want to be... Um, a church that gathers together in a whole heap of variety of ways, big and small, um, because we are family. We do need to hang out together. We do need to encourage one another. And um, and we're not just going to be a Sunday church. We're going to be a church that um, live out our church every day. And that's gathering together sometimes. That's reminding ourselves that we're put in our jobs to be witnesses. It's reminding ourselves that we need to pray for one another, encourage one another, because we are family.
this series, How to Be Joyful and Thankful, it's very unlike me. Usually when I have a sermon series, and, and people like Daryl could attest to you, sometimes I have a whole year of sermons mapped out with titles and keynotes, very German, very structured. Um, I just felt God say that a season of our church is we need to remind ourselves or increase the level of joy and thanks that we have. And so it's going to go for somewhere between four and 12 weeks. I don't really know. I've got a few ideas and sermons on my heart, but I think God's just going to start speaking to us and increasing the level of joy and thankfulness that we have as a church. And you know what? That's going to be attractive to a world out there that's so without joy. And uh, open your Bibles to Philippians 1 verses 12 to 21. Apologise, Steve, for not knowing last night which sermon I was going to preach. Steve messaged me last night and said, uh, what Bible verse? And I said, well, it's either this or this. I just didn't know which way because God was just speaking to me on two things and you'll probably get the other one next week. Philippians 1, verses 12 to 21. I'm reading from the New International Version. Um, it says, now I want you to know, this is Paul writing. I say Often you say speaking, but he's writing. But he's kind of speaking in a way. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, so he's talking to church family. He's not talking to non-Christians. He's talking to us, church family, those people that love Jesus, that what has happened to me, he's in prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. Crazy, right? As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now we're going to keep going in a second, but isn't that crazy? You think if the, the senior pastor or the big gun, the, the guy who's the super apostle, as I call him, gets locked up because of preaching Christ, that everyone else who might not be as confident, might not be as bold, would just sort of shirk away in fear? Yet the opposite happens because sometimes and mostly always in God, God works through unusual circumstances. And all of a sudden there was an uprising because... He was locked up. It says, verse 15, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. There's no one like that in the world today, of course. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers, because we're family, because I know through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. My favourite verse in the Bible, and I know I say that about a hundred different verses. 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father God, as we spend not enough time unpacking this scripture, Lord, we want you to speak to us again. 
We thank you that you do speak to us individually, corporately. And Lord, we pray that you would encourage each and every one of us this morning. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. I believe it's true today that a lot of people, and I'm not, I'm not talking about us, I'm just talking generally, a lot of people don't enjoy life. They just get by, they just get through, they just hang on or they just persist through it. But I'm absolutely convinced as I read the Bible and as I have a relationship with God that that's not God's best plan for people's lives. God's best plan for our lives is that we experience joy. We experience peace. We experience love. We experience hope. We experience just abundant blessings. And I'm not trying to do like a prosperity gospel here, but it's good news, the gospel. You know, we're not meant to walk out of church with our Bible under our arm. That's what turned me away from church as a 16-year-old with a frown on our faces. I'm condemned and... Life's meant to be lived, enjoyed, and as Christians, we should be the most joyful, the most loving, the greatest smiling folk on the face of the planet. But many people feel, both in the church and out of the church, that life must be perfect in order for them to be happy. You know, they're always looking for a change for the better. Like, if I could just fix that in my situation, then life would be great. Or if I could just alter that or get rid of that problem, then I can smile. I give my permission to be happy then. But if we're honest, there's no such thing as a problem-free life. So then if we're going to learn how to live joyful or live happy, however you want to term it, then we have to learn to be joyful in the situation in our current culture, in our current environment, in the problems, in the whatever experiences of life we find ourselves day in, day out. Now we need to understand that there's a difference between being joyful and being happy. Happiness comes from the root word happening. And so it's therefore derived from the circumstance, the external environment, the happening Moments. So if you are, um, so the, and the difference is joy is actually an internal um, emotion, a feeling. It's different. Happiness is external about what's happening now, whereas joy is internal. So if you're having a happy time at Magic Mountain or Secret Beach, when you leave that place, your experiences and your environment will change and you will lose your happiness from that happening, from that moment, because happiness is rooted in what's happening. Joy, however, is different. Joy can be a constant. And people ask, to ex- Jacob, explain joy to me if it's different to happiness. And the best definition that I have heard is Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us continually to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. And I love that. And I wish I'd wrote it. And you'd think I'm smart. But many people ask, how do you have joy in despite of what's going on in your life? And I'd answer that by encouraging us to have a look at the Apostle Paul. From this chunk of scripture that I read this morning, um, which he wrote to believers in Philippi and wrote to us here at Resonate. It says that at the end of uh, your study Bibles. He seemed positive, right? He seemed okay with the cards that he'd been dealt even though the cards that he'd been dealt wasn't four aces, 
So despite being locked up in prison and facing an uncertain future, and, and I mean, if we're honest and we understand Paul's last four years to this point, his life sucked by earthly standards. It was rubbish. I said I'm not going to say the C word to Kez, so I can't say that word, the C-R-A-P word. I'm not going to say that again. But he spent two years in prison in Caesarea and then he was put on a ship to go to Rome more prison, to appear before um, Nero. And Nero was known for his brutality and cruelty against Christians. And so Paul was heading to, he was in bad, bad in prison, going to get more prison and worse stuff happening. And so on the way, on top of that, he gets shipwrecked. And so he's wet and cold and he drifts onto an island and then he's stranded on this island for a while. And on that island, he gets bitten by a poisonous snake, not a cute little black snake sitting in your office, a poisonous snake, and he gets through a bitterly cold wind. I'm scared of black snakes too, so I was just trying to be brave. (laughs) Burn the house down, mate. (laughs) But he gets through a bitterly cold winter there, and then they continue on to Rome, and he spent another two years in prison awaiting trial to be executed. And how's that for a four-year period to the point where now he can say in this scripture, yet I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. So regardless of all these happenings, because these things would not make you happy. I don't care how holy you are, how spiritual you are. If you get bitten by a poisonous snake, you're not going to shout, whoopity-doo, I'm happy. You're not. So despite these rough circumstances, Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 18, I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice because joy is a constant in his life. It's not governed by his experience. It's not governed by happenings. It's just something that's in his heart. It's like part of his every heartbeat. And if you had a moment with Paul, perhaps he was one of those three people that if you could meet and you chose Paul to have a coffee with, you'd be forgiven for approaching him and whispering into his ear saying, Paul, what's your secret, bro? Like seriously, because let's be honest. How does he stay joyful in jail? Like how do you continually rejoice despite the fact that everything hasn't turned out how he had planned. You know, we see him in jail, but have a think about, he would have planned his missioning life and he would have had all these dreams and all these aspirations and none of it turned out like he had thought it was going to turn out. But I reckon if we ask him that question, what's your secret, mate? I reckon he'd answer us like a good modern preacher with four points. And he'd say, Jacob... Read this passage of scripture and say, these are the four points that I want you to understand. And the first point that he'd want us to understand this morning is we need a higher platform to climb onto. See, we've just been on a holiday to the Great Ocean Road and they build platforms at all the areas of the things that you want to see. Why did they do that? Because you can't properly look at something unless you're elevated to a higher level. And the truth is many of the times we're stuck in a problem and we can describe problems and they are described in the Bible as valleys. And so we're at the bottom in the middle of this problem and all we can see is what's in front of us, the problem. But I think Paul would say you need a platform to climb onto. And on that platform you can see things as God sees things and you can see more than just the problem. And the truth is, Everyone has problems, except, of course, me, your pastor. I'm perfect and holy. Just ask my wife. 
But everyone else, of course, here has problems. And if you don't, then maybe you're Jesus because we all have problems. So some of us hide it better than others, right? But if you're here and you're going, well, how's that person just go from strength to strength? Maybe they've got a better perspective on things, but they do have problems. Maybe they're just joyful through their problems, but they do have problems. But I thought God say this, that our problems are not as important as how we look at them. I'm not minimising what you're going through. But how we look at our problems is actually more important than the problem itself. The platform from where you look at the problem is way more important than the problem itself because the perspective that we view our problem from makes all the difference to if or if not we will maintain joy. Because Paul says in um, chapter 1 verse 12, Now I want you to know, like it's a passion on his heart, he wants them to know. It's not like, read this if you, if you feel like it. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, all this rubbish, all this junk, I'm trying hard not to say the other word, has served to advance the gospel. I tell you what, Paul can't say that if he's just in a pity party in the valley. He's climbed to a higher platform where he can actually view things how God views things. He can see a bigger picture. Thank you. He says, I won't just look at my situation, but I'll look past that to see what God sees and look at all that's happening, not just what's happening to me. See, all that's happening is different to then just what's happening to me. Because Paul can see the best even in the worst. He can see that God is working his problems, even if those problems won't go away. Truly, if we believe God to be sovereign, then it's going to make it easier to climb to that platform. Verse 13 in chapter 1 says, As a result, as a result of all this rubbish that Paul's had to endure, had to go through, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. Now, the palace guard aren't just the normal soldiers, they're the SAS. They're the special soldiers and their job was to guard the high up officers. So they're the big deal in Rome. It's become known to the big deal soldiers in Rome and to everyone else that he's in chains, not because he's done something wrong, not because he's a criminal, but he's in chains for Christ. See, Paul had always wanted to go to Rome. It was on his mission, on his ministry bucket list, right? But I could imagine, I don't know, but I could imagine his, his plans, his blueprint, his, his five-year plan for mission in Rome looked a little different to what happened, right? Instead of preaching to crowds in open-air theatres in Rome, instead of maybe the crusade at the Colosseum that he'd made a cool poster for, God put his pulpit in a prison. Can I say to us, we don't choose where our pulpit's going to be, but we trust God that wherever he puts our pulpit, that he's got something for us to preach of his love. God put his pulpit in prison where he had a new audience every four hours. It was only an audience of one, but it was a new audience. There was also a bit of space and a bit of time where he wrote a lot of the New Testament. He was changed to the palace guard, right? The elite troops of the Roman Empire. So ultimately he was able to influence lives from within the palace. 
And the Bible says that while he was on the inside, <coughs> on the outside of prison, things were moving for the gospel with great momentum. And it's kind of a lesson to us in life and in ministry and in church that it's not about one person, no matter how charismatic they are, no matter how good they are at preaching or singing or praying for people or how well the Holy Spirit moves through them. If God's in it, right, if God's in it and a group of people are praying and on mission believing together, then it doesn't matter if one person gets locked away. It doesn't matter if, if people have to move on. It doesn't matter. I'm not saying people don't matter, but what God will do is he will build his church. It takes a bit of pressure off us to know that when God's in something, there's going to be that momentum, the advancement of the gospel. And as I, as I mulled over Paul's situation, because you know, from a church building point of view, you want Paul out. You want Paul doing stuff, raising up Timothy's. You want Paul out, declaring boldly the gospel, like he was a go get a guy. But I felt God say that there's purpose in the problem, and I want us just to grab the hold of that in our hearts. Every problem that we face, every problem that you go through, or you've been through, or you're going to go through, there's a purpose in that problem. And we need to climb that platform to view things from a God perspective. God has a purpose behind every one of my problems. God has a purpose behind every one of your problems. We need a platform to climb to, to give us a higher perspective. I think that's the first thing Paul would tell us. Thank you, Paul. The second thing I think as you whisper into Paul's ear, what's your secret to keeping joy? he'd say to you and to me is we need a priority to cling to. So a platform to climb to, a priority to cling to, and notice they're all doing words because it's so easy in our problems to just stop. But as we move and continue, then we're not going to get bogged down. You know, when things are rough, I need to remember what is really important and what is ultimately um matters and what ultimately doesn't matter. And the truth is we need to be able to distinguish the insignificant from the significant. If you look at today's scripture, those next couple of um, verses in 15 to 17, Paul says that there's like competitors or critics or people outside criticising him and attacking his ministry. And it's kind of like a cheap shot because he's not even out there to defend himself but people are having a go at him. It's rough. You know, does that hurt Paul? Of course it does. Like, like you can't not, you know, and they were doing it out of envy and rivalry, out of selfish ambition, wanting to stir up trouble for Paul. It's not enough that he's in prison. It's not enough that he's got no privacy, that he's changed the palace guard. It's not enough that he's been shipwrecked and been by a snake. All those happenings... He's getting criticised. And if you want something to crush your joy quicker, then you can say smashed avocado. Just listen to all the criticism of the people who want to say stuff against you. So did the criticism hurt Paul? Of course it did. Was it significant or insignificant? Good question. Because the next thing Paul says in this passage kind of answers that question for us. Verse 18, but what does it matter? Oh, that's gutsy. I love it. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, 
he's saying regardless of people saying stuff against me, regardless of people who are using this opportunity to lift their own profile while I'm in jail because of their selfish ambition, he's saying regardless of all those insignificant things that we often like make significant and we get offended and hold on forgiveness, he's saying that none of that matters because as long as Christ is preached. And he says, and because of this, I rejoice. You know, it takes, takes someone with a certain amount of something in their soul, a certain amount of joy in their soul, that the people who are taking his, you know, spot, not out of a love for Christ, but out of a love for self, he says, you know what, they can criticise me, they can do all that stuff, as long as Christ is being preached, I'll rejoice in that. You know, you know so when the Bible tells us to pray for our enemies... It's kind of modelled there by Paul, isn't it? And he's not only praying for his enemies, he's rejoicing in them. Not because of what they're doing, but because the gospel is advancing. Because that's the priority in his life. And that's what he's clinging to. Paul says it's insignificant, but what is significant is Christ is preached. And he's not going to let some punk preachers steal his joy. Nothing's going to rob him from his right to have joy. Do you know, as a Christian, you have a birthright. You have a right for joy. You know how we know that? Because what does a devil try to do? Tries to steal your joy. The enemy tries to take what is most naturally ours. I can't wait to preach a message on that in the next couple of weeks. <sighs> but it, it's hard for us to understand and it absolutely blows my mind, you know, Maybe you're like me and you've got a list of things in the Bible you just can't wrap your head around. And can I say that's okay because none of us have got it all figured out. But we love Jesus. We understand his relationship with us. We understand the power of the Holy Spirit. And we'll figure the rest of that stuff out eventually. But it's not as significant as people's salvation. It blows my mind that Paul mentions their motives may be bad. Their style may be bad. He's basically saying, I don't even like their hairstyle. They're punk kids. No. Um, but he's saying the message is getting out about Jesus, so it doesn't matter. Because it's a question of priority. You know, some things are not worth fighting about. Some things are not significant enough to lose sleep over. Sometimes when things are insignificant, we just need to lay our guns down. Some of us are so tired and beat up that we can't have joy because we're investing fighting energies where we need not fight. In insignificant situations, insignificant theological differences, insignificant personality clashes. But Paul has built his priorities on the advancement of the gospel. And in the rubbish, that's what he's clinging to. All the more harder during the rubbish when circumstances and criticisms were attempting to steal his joy. What can we learn from that? Church, don't let insignificant things ruin your day. Don't let insignificant things steal your joy. I think I saw it somewhere on Facebook. Like if you have a, a, a five-minute conversation and it upsets you, don't let it upset the rest of the 23 hours and 55 minutes of your day. Be like Paul. Know what's significant. And for the rest, say, but what does it matter? So we need a platform to climb to. 
we need a priority to cling to the third thing that I think Paul would probably say to us as to the secret of how to maintain joy is we need a power to carry on. Do you know, I need strength to make it and to keep on going. You need a strength to make it and keep on going. Problems can and do wear us down and they can wreck you completely. They can cripple you. Let's be real, sometimes some seasons, some years just feel like attack after attack after problem after crisis, one after the other, and it can really and truly just get to you. It can wear you down. We need a fresh power, something that will carry us when we feel like we can't carry ourselves. And verse 19 says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision, of the Spirit of Christ Jesus. That's God's provision of the Holy Spirit. I love it, and I don't know if I've ever noticed it talked like that. We don't. The Holy Spirit is not just a gift, right? It, he, the Holy Spirit is a wonderful gift for us, but He's a provision. Now, provisions are stuff that we need. Provisions are stuff that we're given. So, to, so let's not say the Holy Spirit's just a good add-on. The Holy Spirit is not just this extra thing. It's a provision. It's for us, for us daily, for every moment to give us power to help us carry on. Sorry, I got distracted. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope. I eagerly expect and hope. There's some real like, I don't know, it's just something solid about those words that I will in no way be ashamed but have the sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will become exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says, I have two things that allow me to carry on despite the criticism, despite the circumstances, despite four years of these circumstances. Number one, the prayer of other believers. And number two, the help of the Holy Spirit. Like, like if you, if you needed outside of salvation, if we needed two things in this life, maybe it's the prayer of other believers and the help of the Holy Spirit. If you have those things, like you can take over the world. In verse 19 and 20, I'll, I'll, if you've got Bibles that underline or highlight stuff, do it to those two words, expect and hope, and spend a bit of time in that. Because that's where he's placed his expectation and hope in God. He didn't place his expectation and hope in the, the rule of Rome setting him free. He didn't place his expectation and hope in hopefully these happenings will end. He placed him in God. Because we can't live without hope. But we can now aim our hope in wrong places. We can aim our hope in people or circumstances. But the problem is both will change. But the reality is we need our hope in God. Paul says later in Philippians in this same book, 4 verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength, through God who gives me power to carry on. And so a question for us in circumstances is what fuels us? Let it be expectation and hope in God. Let it be the prayers of other believers and the provision and power of the Holy Spirit. It will carry you through anything and it will give you joy. We need a platform to climb onto. We need a priority to cling to. We need a power to carry on. And the fourth thing that Paul would say to us, probably, 
is we need a purpose to lean into. You know, verse 21, the Braveheart moment of the New Testament. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, this is Paul's purpose for breathing, to preach the gospel, to see people see Jesus, to encourage spiritual transformations. This purpose that he leans into fills his life with constant joy. He is constant and uninterrupted in joy because he's fully satisfied in what he is doing. So he can actually, like, honestly just say, not like, not just church talk say, not just a front we can put up sometimes. He can say, you know what, take away my freedom. You know, take away my privacy. Like he's changed to the palace guard. Not changed to the wall, changed to some ugly bloke he doesn't even know. You know, when he needs to do a wee, change to the palace guard. When he's trying to sleep, change to the palace guard. Changed every four hours. Like they've taken everything from this guy. When he wants to pray, change to the palace guard. Take away my privacy, take away my comfort, take away access to my family, take away access to other Christians, take away my support network, take away my public voice, take away everything else. In fact, he's saying in this, take away my life. What does it matter? It's all insignificant. As we said earlier, you've got to decide what's insignificant and what's significant. And I know in my life I've got to reevaluate that according to when I read what Paul has to say. But you can never take away the joy he has because the joy he has comes not from what he has. It comes from what he's purposed to do. It's not because of the happenings in his life. It's because who his hero is. That's what his life leans into. Church, we need a platform to climb onto. The music team can come back up if, if they'd like and I'd love to finish with a song. There's no shadow, you won't, that song, whatever it is. A higher perspective. A higher perspective is always going to bring us greater joy. We can't look at things from the valley that the problem's in. Climb onto that platform. View things as God sees things. We need a priority to cling to. Have you prayed about what's really important in your life? Let's ask God for guidance to understand what really is significant and what is not. We need a power to carry on. You know, are we carrying burdens that were never intended to carry? Give it to God, all to Him, and ask Him to recharge you, to give you power physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Only then are we going to be able to say, like Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we need a purpose to commit into. You know, the Bible says that without a vision, the people perish. And and that vision is ultimately purpose. What things are we investing our life into? You know, it's easy for me to get carried away with work and thinking about work things and what's the next machine I'm going to buy. I want to buy a cherry picker. What's, you know, what's the next job I'm going to do? What's all this different stuff? And I can spend so much time investing time and effort into that. But if those things don't come true, some of my happiness is going to be taken away. But if we invest in significant things in God that doesn't change in His mission, His purpose, then we're going to have joy right through those things. What 
purpose do we lean into? You know, and, and, and let's ask this question, whose lives are we investing into? And whose lives do we want to invest into so that the gospel will be advanced? I want to pray for us today and I want to remind us that how to have joy. You know, let's climb onto the platform and see things from God's perspective. Let's have a priority to cling to. Let's have a power to carry us. And let's have a purpose that we can lean into each and every day. Father God, we thank You that You are good. We thank You that You do not change. We thank You that You choose us to be Your purpose here on earth. Lord, help us to be people who have constant joy, an internal joy that is not changing regardless of the happenings of this world, but something because of the way we view things, something that we just cling to despite the external environment, something that powers us each and every day through your Holy Spirit and that we allow to be our purpose in this life. Lord, we love you. Let's speak to us, encourage us through this. Give us that joy. Constant. Thank you for providing us the Holy Spirit, for power, for direction, for encouragement, for strength, for breakthrough. In your mind and hand we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and let's just worship God one more time this morning. Jesus, my Thank you for listening to The Resonate Podcast. 